Good morning. You are listening to The Dollop. This is American History Podcast. Each week I read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. And the story is from American History. And I forgot that part. Oh. So I put it in later. I think you said it. No. Jeez. No, I didn't. How did I not notice? This is, this is I, my attention. When I listen back, because we're working on the book, and when I'll listen back to episodes, sometimes it's very, <laughs> I'll hear myself completely miss something. Yeah. And I'm like, you're such an idiot. That like, happens so, all the time. So people, uh, that's why. We both miss, I mean, you miss stuff. That's yeah. life. You're thinking well, about you're something thinking, And you're also thinking, you're trying to, it's, you're. You're thinking of jokes if yeah, you're, you're, you know, like, so I, yeah, you're the, you're but like there are the, times where I'll be like, oh shit with his mom. And you're like, no, his wife. And I'm like, oh, even more. Oh shit. Yeah. But you're like the clowny part of the show. So people don't George expect clowny. To... They call me. Call me George clowny. God, you want to look at a dude? I'll do one buck. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Uh, so this podcast is brought to you by our subscribers on Patreon. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, go over to Patreon. Kick it a buck or something a month. What's a buck a month for eight shows? That's uh, 45 cents uh, for per... For the price of a cup of coffee. Right. You can feed Dave and I all month long. We just want some grain. If we can irrigate our water. Grain. 1928. Oh, I'd rather be then. The Roaring Twenties had reached a fever pitch. Everything was going great. The country was riding high on an economic boom <laughs> that led to a time of outrageousness. It isn't going where you think you are. Okay. This is just a... I mean, I could have, but... Well, I was just going to say, because we're paralleling ourselves. A little bit. I, t- I stepped back from the parallels. Uh, they'll be back next week. It was a time of massive inequality, and newspapers were filled with stories of the rich and famous. Prohibition had led to a rise of criminals who mingled with the wealthy in speakeasies. Communists and socialists had been on the end of harassment since the beginning of the decade. There were attempts by workers to organize, but they were met with violence and death. Strikes and labor disputes led to riots. Nativism was back again. And the laws that came with it. The Ku Klux Klan was working its magic. Yeah. Race riots. They are wizards. They are wizards. Wait. Did... did a sporting event just start in the back of your house? I can't Are you tell recording if that's next door or the outside. European World Cup? No, am I? No, what? It's not the World Cup. The European, the European Championship. World... No, um, I'm not. Can we? Can we get that? It might not. Ah! I also I also don't want the score ruined. Wow. My neighbor was watching. Jose just Jose just gave a hiss. Did he? Yeah, he, he was totally mad. not down with whatever. He was like, soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like soccer. He thinks it should be called football. I get it. Um, the Ku Klux Klan was working its magic. Race riots in Oklahoma and Florida resulted in the deaths of thousands. And then there were the endless endurance tests and strange stunts. 
Of what? It was a time of strange stunts. Oh, just the time in general was mixed. Yeah. yeah okay. They I were like... marathon dances, oh, six-day bike races, barnstorming. You know, barnstorming is when, you, when you stand on the on the wings of a plane. Oh, geez. Well, Remember they could that name stuff? that something different. Uh, transatlantic flights, yeah, intercontinental flights, all that stuff. But this was all about to come to an end with the stock market crash and the Great Depression. Before it came, though. There was going to be one final crazy race. <laughs> All right. And we're in. Charles C. Pyle was an Illinois theater owner and sports agent. Okay. He represented football star Red Grange, known as the Galloping Ghost. Sure. We all remember the Galloping Ghost. You couldn't get him because he was a ghost. Yep. No one could tackle him. Yep. And he galloped. Yep. Uh, and he also represented several of the best tennis players. And in 1927, he came up with the idea of a Trans-America foot race. It was to go from Los Angeles to Chicago to New York, a total of 3,455 miles, all by foot. Oh, my God. What? That's very long. It's a very long. Driving it seems insurmountable. When announced, the media immediately nicknamed it the Bunyan Derby for oh. all the bunions the runners would get. Oh, my God. Is he mad? Your I neighbor? don't know. Who knows? It's it's that a was, work it's a work in progress. We're not borrowing sugar. Okay. The runners then became known as the Bunioneers. So they All right, before they even started running, before they even picked runners, they've got a nickname. This is before band-aids. My, way before band-aids. Or put it or people knew to wear two layers. If you ran back then, you would get a bunion, yep. apparently, they thought. Yeah. Pyle advertised it in newspapers across the United States saying he would quote Feed and house any man bold enough to take up the challenge of racing across America. Okay. The race would take place over 84 days, and only men were allowed to enter. <laughs> That's standard. <laughs> That's standard fare. Yeah, that makes sense. A prominent medical expert named Dr. K.H. Begg said the race would take five to ten years off each runner's life. So he's just... That's just... Do, uh, again, like lis- <laughs> listening to like the, what doctors? <laughs> I mean, like what doctor is? He's taking a stab at it. But that's a crazy. I mean, that's just a crazy thing to think. That's what, not. That, I mean, maybe it would. Five to ten years off your life. A long, long race. That's crazy. Well, I would. I would think it couldn't be good for your. Good for you. But five, ten years, ten years. Well, why don't you listen to how the race went? <laughs> they, they better be dying. Oh, God. They would be running an average of 40 miles a day. Oof. Ugh. The shortest day was 17 miles. The longest was 74.6 miles. That's not a day. Can you run at 74.6 miles in a I'm day? I'm pretty sure. Just fucking hustle, bro. Yeah, if I do it right. <laughs> if I have my two layers. The runner with the least cumulative elapsed time would get $25,000. Okay. The guy in fourth would get 2500 Second and third, somewhere in between, and the five to ten runners would get a thousand dollars each. And then eleven would want to kill himself. Eleven got nothing. No, I just no. The average U.S. family lived on two thousand dollars a year back then. Wow, that's well, crazy. Yeah, the way it would work is uh, timers would log each runner's daily time and add it to the cum- cumulative total, and the one with the least time at the end of the race would win. Right. right. So each day, yeah. Yep. You're just adding. Adding. All they had to do was pay a $25 entry fee and put down a $100 deposit. A deposit? Well, they would get back at the end of the race. 
What is the deposit for? Well, just in case he needed to, you know, do stuff. Excuse me? If there was a thing that had to, like the rug, if you if you messed up the rugs or... The rugs on the marathon? Or if, uh, you know, you, they need to repaint the walls or whatever. Of the world? So they had to put down a deposit. Did he say $100 because <laughs> he's thinking people are going to die? Um, I think he's thinking, you know, he's investing a lot of time and money into this and if everyone drops out then he won't have a race yeah well sorry bud you came up with a bad idea i well then you know put down your deposit i mean look you gotta pay to play baby i don't think that's the way this works <laughs> also what, what did he really do a lot i mean he was just like run to chicago no he's you know it's an he event. planned it it's okay. an event he's a producer of an event the race was to first run from L.A. to Chicago along Route 66, which at this point was only paved along 800 miles. The rest, about 1,600 miles, was basically dirt with potholes uh. and tons of washouts from storms. <laughs> A radio station was going to put out daily reports on the race. Support teams... Cars for the press and a mobile shoe repair shop were to be provided by Pyle. Did the KKK hate races? Well, that must be a slippery slope for them. I mean, they can't love races. Exactly. The racers were going to sleep in tents and food was to be served buffet style at the checkpoint each day. All participants had to sleep in tents and uh, they'd get, it would be like a, you know, Two meals a day, I guess, morning and night. That's how it worked. Okay. Pyle planned to make this an event. At the end of each day, he would set up a carnival for local spectators. So he's making events within events? Right. Okay. It's like Lollapalooza. This is the second stage. It's eventception. <laughs> so at the end of each day, they'd finish, and then there'd be a carnival. He's like Billy Madison. And then local spectators from the local towns nearby would come and hang out. And to get this wonderful carnival, as the town would have to pay the marathon to stop there. That is a racket. <laughs> wow. We- <laughs> yeah. And you the- would think it would be the opposite. Right? Yeah. And the runners were told they would be able to make money by mingling with the locals at these carnivals and selling programs as well as their autographs. The your autograph oh man i'm never gonna forget the time i met one guy who tried to run across the world <laughs> hey jose he's allowed that oh he's allowed that yeah, he's allowed good work that. buddy Keep scratching, he knows he's allowed to chair. claw that one at a girl what are you looking at me he's for? a boy he's prairie dog at a girl 199 a men boy. signed up okay wow most left behind upset wives and families to partake in the race surely i how i mean that like who who anywhere would be like, that's a good idea, Johnny. Oh, that's great, hon. Yeah. That's perfect. Okay, y'all yeah, see you in a few months. All I'll right, just stay I'll here see you, I'll see you in a year. I'll... Thanks for leaving your job. I'll see you in a year. No, you have fun on your race. Have fun. Like you said, you can make some scratch when you're on the road selling your autograph on pamphlets at a carnival. Because last week you were a mechanic. Right? So why wouldn't people want your autograph? This is perfect. Yeah, everyone will remember Larry the Deadbeat. Andy Payne's father, an Oklahoma uh, farmer, called it, quote, not even good foolishness. <laughs> Fair. Irish immigrant Mike Joyce left his job and, wi- and wife with their four kids and took his savings with him. 
I think he might have just been leaving his family. I think there's a lot of guys that were like, I don't want to do this. You're too fat to race. Well, yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'm going to pack everything. Okay. I'm, I'm taking the money and the, um, you know, I'm going to take these chairs. Yeah, how about this? You keep the kids, I'll take the chairs and the money, and then I'm going to go run this marathon. How many guys said they were running in the marathon and then just went Left. and moved to San Diego? Many. 195? <laughs> Most of the guys were blue-collar workers from factories or shipyards, and not many of them had any marathon experience. Good. I mean, that, you know, that is, that's where you should start from. You, you don't need to be experienced in this that's to make right. it work. That's right. You figure it out when you're falling in a pothole near a carnival stop. It's America, and in America, any man can do anything. Exactly. And anybody who says that we can't do it, they're idiots. Thank and you. And foreign. Pyle did manage to recruit a few international stars. Okay. The favorite was Arthur Newton. Oh, I'll never forget him. Uh, the Newt? The Newt? A 44-year-old Englishman. He held all amateur running records between 29 and 100 miles. Okay. The San Jose Mercury News reported that he, quote, smoked regularly and said he had more shuffling than a running style. I've got more shuffling than running style. Developed during his 200-mile weeks. The man runs slowly on his heels. <laughs> so it sounds more like he's walking. Sounds like a Monty Python character. <laughs> Just smoking and walking on his heels. Arthur, don't mind the shuffle. I'm in a race. I'm on a long race. Here I go. Here I am. Stop You're for a quick fag. You're just walking around the backyard. Oh, it's a race. <laughs> Try to finish before I. I'm just going to sit here and watch. Well, you're not going to win with that attitude. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Mind if I have a fag? <laughs> do, 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 do. And uh, there were five African-American runners. Uh, might be the most shocking thing you've said the whole time. Which was not the norm. I'm sure that that was. As we know from past dollops, whites did not believe blacks should be competing against them in athletics. Yeah. It was believed blacks <laughs> couldn't run as far and were not nearly as athletic as whites. It is, it is so amazing. <laughs> On uh, Okay, also, uh, this was a very high time for popularity for the Ku Klux Klan. So if we're talking about seeing an intersection up ahead, mm -hmm. it seems that if the KKK mm -hmm. didn't like black people right. and they found out about black people running, mm -hmm. that could be problematic. Mm. Do you... Interesting. Do you see what I'm saying? Nope. On March 4th, 1928... Although it would be hilarious to watch a bunch of dudes in their robes have to try to catch black catch guys a, running catch, faster yeah, than fat, them. Fat, really fast black guys. Yeah. Guys in robes. Yeah. That'd be the best thing. That would just be like a great... Just so sweaty. That could be, just be a whole movie. Of we just, need a lighter uniform! And, and, like, uh, and like a skirt. Like a, yeah, something short. Yeah. Something revealing. Like, like the Roman gladiators. Look, were. guys, if we're going to be a bunch of, bunch of guys wearing big-tipped dresses, why don't we make them short and cute? <laughs> Maybe some ruffles, you know what I mean? Maybe cut the sleeves up a little bit, show a little yeah. arm. Yeah. Keep the people guessing. I hear you, girl. Maybe a little lipstick revealed. When do we start using girl here in the clan? Huh? Huh? I'm just saying we could be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right now, our outfits are just OKKK. Yeah, OK, yeah. But they could be gray, gray, gray. Man, I did not realize how blue your eyes are. Yeah, well, mm. hi. Hi. You ever fucked a dragon? <laughs> yes, I have. Oh, well, you about to get another one. Uh, Sunday, March 4th, 1928, they took off from Legion Ascot Speedway in Los Angeles. 
An estimated 500,000 people line the street. That, uh, it, okay. I mean, people, you just had nothing to do. Before the first leg, they when ran. When was TV invented? Oh, it came later. No, actually. Uh, it was later. Uh, the 30s? Yeah, yeah, 40s maybe? I don't know. We'll have to look that up. I'm excited. For the first leg, they ran in heavy traffic. Normal. And when they arrived at that night's checkpoint, they were not feeling well from all the exhaust. Ugh. They were exhausted. A, a quote, Sinui 40-year-old Finn won the first day. <laughs> okay. Sinui. Sinui. A Finn? The noise from the carnival that night kept most of them awake in their tents. So they've just run 70 miles. They just in basically the heat, ran through a tailpipe. Through a tailpipe. They're exhausted. They just want to sleep, and then fuckhead has a carnival, carnival time. Carnival going. Hey, there. guys, don't rest up. Hand out those pamphlets. Sell your autographs. The next morning, they discovered the showers were not well hidden from the public. Okay. Just a piece of canvas surrounded it, and there was no place to dress or undress. The shower. So the spectators are like, we're still here. Oh. Watch that dick. The showers were also surrounded by mud. Okay, which is a little counterproductive. The second day was a 34-mile run in a pretty decent rain. This caused a lot of runners to get blisters. This is the second day? Yep. <laughs> it's a bad start. There were not enough doctors to treat everyone's... Blisters. Hurt feet. Right. The runners Dr. had Dr. Scholl's there? So the runners had to wait in their wet beds under their leaking tents for hours. Sorry, is this the Civil War? <laughs> Dear Martha. <laughs> the marathon's not treating me well. Seems like the North will prevail. They cut off Jimmy's leg today. I can still run. One man quit I'll the just hop a little. Like Arthur, the shuffle. You're done, sorry. Sorry, now I'm done. One man quit the race. He had an interesting excuse. <laughs> he said that in his state, they only allowed deer to be shot two per person, and he already used his allotment earlier in the year, so he was out of shape. Um. He ate all his deer before, and he hadn't. he wasn't in deer shape. <laughs> Sorry, he quit. his excuse again is that... He shot his deer too early. And if he'd shot him later, he could be carrying some deer with him and he could chew on that. But now he's hungry. And he also came not in deer shape. I'm going to... In the winter time, Bobby is in good health and can go for many runs because he is full of deer. But when the spring and summer months come, Bobby is not full of deer. Bobby can't run. Bobby quit. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna suggest we move on. Okay. By the end of the third day, many of the runners were limping. <clears throat> they were now down to 183. How many days are we estimating this will take? 84. <laughs> <laughs> Halfway there. <laughs> Kinda. They were now down to 183 guys. <laughs> this is feels unsustainable. This was the day they ran over the mountainous Kajon Pass. Kajon, you know, up over the grapevine. King Kong. King Kong Pass, uh, getting out of the L.A. basin. They were given uh, two jam sandwiches, a cup of coffee, and a small orange. 
Can't even give him a real orange. This was far enough for a man running 40 miles. Uh, two jams. That jam will really pump you it's up. Like, it's like you couldn't. Like you give that to a guy who might be running a two mile race. Yeah. Jams and jam, jam sandwiches. sandwiches. I mean, that is that. Is, that has to be the worst. No, it's too. How about that, some syrup? Anything. You guys want a bucket of syrup and some suds? Yeah. Jam like jam is kind of like. Yeah. Jam's a little bit like Garfunkel, like and Simon's peanut butter. We can have Simon go off solo and rock it, but Jam can't go out on the road alone. No, Jam's not. Jam allowed. needs someone else there. And there has never been any athletic trainer who has ever said, "Give him some Jam." All right, boys, we're on the Jam diet. We'll show him. What's that? We're all gonna eat nothing but Jam. Yeah, marmalade and jams. What's? We're gonna become the most elite athletes in the whole world. I don't think it's Now put right. your hand in there and eat this jam like Pooh Bear would eat honey. Well, our hands. Come, yeah, your hands, yeah. Now yeah. don't fill up on too much jam. We don't want to win too quickly. Right? Oh. Okay. We'll make it look competitive at least. Right. They don't know about our athletic secrets. Feel lightheaded? Yeah, that's the jam working. <laughs> that's the jam. You got jam head. Okay. So, uh... The sandwiches uh, and the coffee and the orange would be what they would get for the next two months. Coffee, too, seems weird. For the next two months. What? Sorry? That would be what they would get each day for the next two months. For the next two months, they're eating nothing but jam sandwiches, mini oranges, and coffee? To avoid starvation, the men would have to find other ways to get food. What sort? This isn't isn't an organized marathon anymore. I want my deposit back. (laughs) Some ended up begging. Begging for what? (laughs) Food. (laughs) That's a very weird element to this. Now, you might get set back by your begging times. <laughs> Remember, those count on the cumulative the times. It's all part of the if race. If you're begging, that's on your clock. It's all part of the competition. So until then, jam up. The dropout race was fairly. The dropout rate was fairly high at this point. Yeah. When they reached Victorville, so many had dropped out they didn't have too much trouble waiting for doctors anymore. Uh, there's a good sign. They were in the desert now. Uh, Nothing like a jam sandwich in the desert. And they would be in the desert for the next few hundred miles. Oh, sweet God. Eating jam and pounding coffee. Again, the problems with the running of the race surface. They did not have enough road patrols to give out water. Did he organize a race? A runner named Stone, quote, The desert took a heavy toll and put the most of the remaining ones in a pitiful condition. Some were badly sunburned. Others had parched lips that cracked open and bled. Still others had their foot problems in abundance. In abundance. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I guess maybe this is the downside to your nutrients be coming from jam and oranges. Right? Yeah, it doesn't seem like you're getting enough vitamins. Scurvy. So now your lips are just going to start to open and bleed. Uh, it must be weird to have a conversation with a guy, and when he first starts talking, his just lips crack open and just blood starts coming out. <laughs> I haven't talked in a while. Ow. Uh, great race. Uh, it hurts to say ow. They were only in Barstow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Hour and a half by car outside LA. Two hours, maybe? Yeah. Uh, 68 men had now dropped out. <laughs> uh, Dave, I'm starting to doubt that they're going to make it. Somehow the men dragged themselves on. Besides the desert heat and wind, cars kicked up dust on the unpaved highway, making it difficult to breathe. One contestant was hit by a car. Another was hit by a motorcycle. 
So if you're running behind a guy who gets hit by a motorcycle in your race and all you're... you've had is jam in your lips, do, when do, <laughs> isn't that enough for you to be like, I'm out? No, you look at that and you go, one more guy out of my way. Can I have his jam sandwiches? <laughs> Satchi's pockets. Yeah, that's what you do. Like, they, they rush over and they're like, oh, they're seeing if he's okay and they're just looking for jam sandwiches or food. <laughs> And the real long-distance runners Pyle had recruited were not the ones who made it. It was the blue-collar guys, the ones with no experience who would not give up. Although most of them gave up because of the inhumane conditions they were forced to live in. So rather than the race, they gave up because of the tent shit and all the other... Morality. Yeah. The blankets and pillows were filthy. (laughs) They weren't given the same ones every night. So you didn't get your same pillow and blanket. You would just be switched around. So like stinky stew and you might be swapping. Often they'd use one end of a blanket as a pillow to avoid the blood that was on the other end from the previous night's runner. You know what this marathon (laughs) needs is for a woman's women. Uh, If women were involved, if women were involved. There would be so like there, people would be so much kinder. Well, this is a Game of Thrones. When you put race. a bunch of men together in a situation yeah. like this, they'll just sleep on bloody pillows and go ahead and just sleep on the blood, Frank. Yeah, like they've they've now gotten it to the point where like this is okay. Oh, I lucked out in the pillow department tonight, boy. I'm pooped from that carnival. Uh, Anyone want to split a jam sandwich and part of an orange? You know what's great is tonight on my pillow just one eyeball, nothing else. Oh, man, my pillow doesn't stink so bad. I'll probably be able to sleep. Some would stand on their pillows to dress to avoid the wet mess on the ground, and then those pillows would be given out the next night. Dave, this isn't an or- this isn't an organized event. It sounds very organized. This is they chaos. have pillows and blankets. This is chaos that someone said was an event. Quote, And two, there were the fellows in the race whose lips were just a mess of sores too horrible to mention that lay on the pillows that we all had to use. Ugh. Ugh. The lip guys. Just, ugh, that's just terrible. They also ran into sandstorms. Now, think about your lips all open and, <laughs> and then sandstorms. Just enjoy that. Let that waft over you. <laughs> One stan- sandstorm was so bad that it was picking up pebbles and blowing them into the runner's box. Dave, that's a rock storm. That is a rock storm. That's different. Tumbleweeds would hit them and cut them because they were so thick. Okay. I mean, why? (laughs) Why? Why hang in there? Why hang in there? 25K. Plus, you don't want to go back to your wife and kids, right? I think I do at this point. Sally's got a lot of downside, but at least there's nice pillows. Sometimes they would arrive at the checkpoint at night with a half inch of sand on their necks and shoulders and no water to wash it off. It'll be fine. I mean, do I have to even? What? What the fuck? <laughs> you know what? It's an endurance test. But Don't how be such do you, a fucking like, they, they all, uh, they, You know how you are. Like, if you're in a situation like this, you all must be poisoning each other with how horrible you think this is. How do you stay? It, yeah, but you, they had this drive... You know, you think about the fact that these are all working class guys and they see a future of the same. And now they're feeling they have one chance to reach up to all those rich people that they've been watching partying. And it's you're talking about massive inequality. Massive inequality drives people to do insane things. 
but they're not David Blaine. They're not David Blaine, but now they each think they have a possibility of getting a giant chunk of money, owning a house, being a thing. Okay. I mean, at what price, though? What? You're going to be living in your mansion without lips? Well, inequality. With jam poisoning? Inequality drives people to do crazy things. <laughs> Newton, the Englishman, was still in the lead as they headed into the cold, windy northern Arizona mountains. But he quit on the 15th day because of a sprained ankle and a strained leg. All of the That's favorite, the problem with the Newt Scoot. Right? Yeah, his form. All of the favored foreign racing stars were now out. And they were down to 102 men. Andy Payne was now in the lead, even though he had a fever from tonsillitis. You didn't need to tell me that Payne was running this race. That was obvious. <laughs> he had tonsillitis. Yeah, he had tonsillitis. Okay. Which would soon catch up to him, and he faded from the lead because of it. When they crossed... I spray my tonsils, mile nine. <laughs> it's hard with a fever. When they crossed into New Mexico, somehow it got worse. Oh, what? What got... What? what a car landed on him? There were now just 96 men. And the quality of drinking water plummeted. It was already terrible. This led to some of the runners becoming... Sick with a terrible stomach sit- sickness, which means they were shitting everywhere. While running, probably. They were also frequently... Here, use the pillow! Shit in the pillows! <laughs> Fine! They were also frequently running in the snow, in sleet, and in rain. <laughs> when they arrived in Amarillo, Texas, there were 88 remaining, and they slogged on a dirt road that had been turned into, quote, gumbo mud... Sticky and slick. Oh, God. Their shoes would fill up with mud, and they would have to constantly clean them off. Uh, is the guy uh, uh, Pyle? Is that his name? Yeah, he's... Yeah. Is he around for this? Yeah, he would, he, would, he would stay in a nearby hotel. Yeah, so it, that's exactly what I'm picturing. <laughs> the guy who shows up is like, Oh, how was it out there today? And they're like, Terrible. I got bit by an anaconda, and I lost my shoes. Well... I'm getting a foot massage go, yeah. in an hour. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm going to a float pool for a little while. The nightly carnivals included novelties like the Turtle Boy, an embalmed Oklahoma outlaw, the which might be the member the of dude? the yeah, remember the, the guy that ended up Le- Leather Man? It might be the guy who ended up out here in Long Beach. Because he was an We got to get outlaw. him on a live one. Yep. Uh, there was also the world's most powerful portable radio, a 20-piece jazz band, and female dancers who spent most of their time sexing up local farm boys. Well, I guess I understand why you pay for the carnival. Right. Pilot promised the runners before the race that there would be local prizes given out to the first five runners by towns along the way. So every time, top five, whatever town you're going to for your carnival, top they five's going to get they something. Get a prize, a little, little, little bling bling. You know, I, it's you've probably really lowered what their version of a prize is at this point. Well, I think he probably I couldn't figure out what it was, but I think he probably promised like money or something. Socks. Yeah, yeah, something that would benefit them in the race and Some or diapers. in life. Uh, but the prizes never came. Cool, cool. This caused more of the runners to drop out of the race. Turns out Pyle had never even discussed the prizes with the towns. Well, he seems like a good guy. The route also began to make strange detours. 
I, isn't the whole thing a strange detour? It became quite obvious that when a town didn't pay up, Pyle was making the runners go out of their way over harsh road conditions to get to a town that had paid. Oh, God. <laughs> Fucker. One of the African-American runners was named Eddie Gardner. His description from the program. I found the program of all the runners' names. This can't be good. It's fucking, no, it's great. Eddie Gardner of Los Angeles, California. A good runner and holder of state records in Washington. He has good performances in the post-intelligence marathon at Seattle. He was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and is 28 years old. Okay. That's it. When the race headed into the Texas panhandle, the black runners had to basically run a racist gauntlet. For six days, the black runners were harassed. They were not allowed into many businesses and made to sleep in colored-only tents that were barely covered at all. So they found a way to make worse tents. Yeah. Interesting. Because they would come into town and the people would be like, "Uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. And that was in Texas? Yeah, isn't that weird? Shocking. When they stopped in McLean, Texas, a mob of whites surrounded Ed Gardner's tent for the entire night, threatening to burn it down. It's hard to, hard to hit REM sleep with that around you. Burn down a tent. Yeah. 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 But the racism was just getting started. Oh, good. good One good, good. day, <clears throat> an upset farmer who saw Ed Gardner running with the white runners... That's tough to even think about. Decided to point a shotgun at Gardner while riding a mule behind him. The whole time, daring him to pass a white runner. Uh, That's a, that's a, I think in sporting terms, that's considered a handicap. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Well, when you literally aren't allowed to win the race. Right. I mean, you're not going to be able to get your invisible prize that night. No, you're not. When they entered Clinton, Oklahoma, tons of people lined the streets waiting to see the current race leader, Andy Payne. Local Oklahoma. Right. Kid. But Payne wasn't the first to come into town. Don't tell me a black. They were furious. Oh, no. When the African-American, Ed Gardner, rolled in three miles ahead of everyone else. Oh, three miles, too. So there's like a nice, awkward 15 minutes. They just sat there yelling, nigger drop dead, and you'll be picking cotton, coon. You know, that's that southern congratulations you're always reading about. But Gardner did not stop. He raced on. He seemed to decide that the best way to handle this was to keep running his best. Oh, yes. He grew up more determined. He grew more determined and came to believe that he would sacrifice his life to win the derby. That's great. He was now a protest runner. Ah. All right. Yeah. But he wasn't alone. He was being widely reported on the front pages of black newspapers during the entire race. Oklahoma's Black Dispatch, the Chicago Defender, the Pittsburgh Courier, the Afro-American all quickly made Ed Gardner famous in the black community. When they passed through a black town, it was like having a ticker tape parade. Oh, that's the that's the only way to aggravate the whites more. But doesn't that sum up America? He runs into a black town and he's a hero, and then the next town they're like, let's string him up. Yeah. Well, and the I mean, and the idea too that like a, a, a like a white man has created such a terrible environment 
that the uh, like this guy is trying to sort of transcend. Yeah. Oh. That's a dog. Sorry, a dog there's fight. a dog fight. Um, on day 41, Gardner stopped and spoke to the Oklahoma City Negro Big Business League and said, quote, I am not thinking much about the money to be gotten out of this race now. My idea is that it would be a wonderful thing to win this test of endurance for black America. Uh, which is true, someone, which is great. Some, but someone set out to run a race, and now he's like, oh, this is something, something's bigger. Something bigger is happening. And how, and how are white people how are white people handling this? Well, they're not enjoying it. Not well. But we're basically talking about the Jackie Robinson of yeah. a shitty race. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and the other runners all supported the African-American runners as best they could. The international runners couldn't fathom the horrific racism they were seeing juxtaposed against how he would be a hero in the next town. They were like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> oh, so when you say two Americas, you literally mean two different countries. They're running through two Americas. Yeah. And then one America, it's fucking madness. And the next one, it's like, yay. And the international people are like, um, excuse me? Uh, it seems like from town to town, they treat you very differently. <laughs> what is the N-word? And you're German. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, you know, I've, actually, at this point, we don't do anything. <laughs> we like all people equally. I can't imagine a society <laughs> frowning upon one specific people like this. I mean, where does it get the nerve? They don't know. The whole idea is that you're a melting pot. I'll well, tell you, one thing I love about Germans... Everybody's the same. Okay. We treat everybody exactly the same. Oh, God, 1928. And we always will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's what the foundation of our country in uh, a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 Uh, all the Not a fan of Jews. <laughs> what? Personally, no. yeah. Never been. It's oh, very, yeah, yeah, very okay, so uh, thrifty. Not a fan. Okay, well. But uh, I can't believe to... what you have to go through from uh, town to town. They treat you like a damn Jew. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, who wants to break jam? All of the runners had formed a bond because of the ter terrible conditions they were suffering through together. So they, well, they did what they could to help the African-American runners. So now it's one of those things like, I guess you can compare it to like how the American coach coached the 1980 American ice hockey team in the Olympics where he was just a monster to them so they would bond together. So essentially if these we guys... we these guys 10 times out of 10 times... They'd win. That's right. But not tonight. Not yeah. tonight. The best fucking Her, movie. What's his name? Herb Adderley or something? Uh, I can't remember, but the best movie. <laughs> After Texas and Oklahoma, things became easier because the weather was more suitable. When they arrived in East St. Louis, a notoriously racist uh, area, okay. St. Louis, Ed Gardner was leading the pack. But most local newspapers refused to print his name, just calling him the Negro schoolboy of Seattle. He's 28. That's fine. That's fine. Whatever you can think of. To... The Negro schoolboy from Seattle? Yeah, not his name. When they crossed the Mississippi into Illinois, traffic increased and more runners were hit by cars and had to drop out. How the fuck is that happening? There's no... I mean, th this is a time when... I mean, have you ever seen the videos of like an Iran intersection or, or China? Like, there's no rules. Driving in Beijing. 
It's fucking insane. Go, just go look at the videos everything, online. Everything means go. Yeah, there's no rules at all. So I think that's more what America was back then. Okay. Um, I mean, I could look that up, but I'm pretty sure it was fairly chaotic for a while when car- cars first came about. Can't see why. Um, an Italian-born Englishman named Peter Javuzzi was in the lead with Andy Payne about seven hours behind in second. There was concern among the run- runners because the financial crisis had now hit. They wondered if the race would continue. Rumors said it would be stopped, but the runners went on anyway. And they were right on some level. Most of the towns were not paying for the race. And Pyle was leaving behind a trail of unpaid bills and creditors were after him. Then millionaire businessman Fremont Gunn stepped in and took over day-to-day operations. But the race was on the verge of bankruptcy. <laughs> I mean, the race was basically bankruptcy to begin yeah, with. it was a terrible idea. It was in the red. So. Oh, boy. Gun solution. Oh, God. I, you know, guns are never the solution. Was to make the race as f- finish as fast as possible. The number of miles per day increased, sometimes 50 and 60 and one over 70 miles a day. One night, they didn't arrive in camp until 3.30 in the morning. Some of them didn't even make it into camp and just collapsed face down on the grass on the side of the road where they slept for three hours, then started off on a 60-mile run. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, three. Oh, God. You would just be it's dead. like the Manila Death March. Yeah. You on, are dying. On May 11th, Javuzzi quit the marathon because of infected teeth. I mean, if you're in first and you got to drop out because of your teeth, your uh, teeth are fucked up. I injured my teeth. <laughs> What's he saying? He wants some cinnamon and bread. Hurry. Yeah? 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 He take out his eyeballs. He says he's happy. He's laughing. He's yelling at something. He's excited. I think he's trying to tell us something. What is it, boy? The New York Times quoted Javuzzi, quote, trouble with my teeth has kept me from eating anything but liquid for two weeks. Oh, no. I'm so weak that I cannot make any progress, so there's nothing to do but drop out. Oh, how did your teeth get so infected? Fuck, I do not know. It's horrifying. Is he English? Yeah, he's an Englishman. Oh, there you go. Andy Payne. That's the look. Now Andy Payne was back in the lead. Okay. Our boy. Gunn then decided to greatly decrease the number of miles that they were running per day. This was because New York was just four days away, and he wanted all the racers to look better when they ran into town. (laughs) So his plan when he took over the race was to have them run insane amounts for 10 days, and then in the last four, take the amounts way down so they would look not like they just run out of a POW camp. Jam them up. Feed him, him load up. him up with jam the last four days. Jam him up. On May 26, 84 days after leaving Los Angeles, they left New Jersey and were ferried into Manhattan. They ran into Madison Square Garden, where they were required to run 200 laps. Oh, That was about 20 miles. Oh, my God. So at the end, the race was a total financial failure. <laughs> Only 55 of the 199 who started the race finished it. That That is a shocking number, though. 
Yeah. I that's a crazy amount to oh, actually yeah. go through this shit. I, th- I always thought it would have been like 10. None? 10 men received money. The contract they had signed gave Pyle the right to manage the top 10 for two years after the race. Oh, God. That's who you want to get in business with oh, after this. Just a fucking monster. His career's on fire ever since he killed all those men. Andrew Payne, whose father called it not even good foolishness, won and took home the 25000 Okay. He had gone through five pairs of shoes and won by 15 hours. Okay. He was honored by Congress in Washington, then returned to Oklahoma and paid off the family farm. Okay. Pyle, for whatever reason, maybe because he was the dumbest man alive, decided to have a race back from L.A. to New York, just the exact reverse. <laughs> Your face. Wait. Your face. Wait. Dude. Your face was amazing. Wait. I mean, I was as I wish blown I, as I a wish, mind gets. I wish I had video. That may have been the most... The but, most baffled you've ever been on this podcast. Wait, he's just he's having another one from New York to L.A.? Yeah. Right after? Yeah. Well, he's going to wait a little while, but yeah, then anybody wants to run back and run back. Do you know why, I bet? Because uh, someone forgot something? And he probably was like, I don't want to pay for all these guys to go back. Oh, God. What a trick. <laughs> hey, what do you say we do it again? Run them back, huh? <coughs> one more time. The second Bunyan Derby left New York on March 31st and arrived... I can't believe it's actually happening. It arrived on June 16th. Who is... Are none of the same guys? The race did bankrupt Pyle. None of the top 10 finishers received any of their promised winnings after the 78 days of racing. Did... did wait, did Payne get the 25... He got the 25 grand, though. Yeah, well, the first time, but the second race, no one got... Oh, the second time, nobody got the purse. Nobody got any money. Okay, good. The that, man, that's probably pretty fulfilling. The man who had finished second in the first Bunyan Derby won this time. Okay. But he didn't get any money. He got nothing. A year later, while on duty as a policeman at a baseball game, he was hit in the head by a line drive and died. Well, you've really just... This guy's really got a great little trajectory. Ed Gardner finished eighth in the Bunyan Derby... And walked away with $1,000, even though he had the most first-place finishes. He was clearly handicapped through the fucking racist nonsense South. Yeah. Uh, but he would finish first, but then when in the days he didn't, he must have been too far behind, right? Or maybe being chased by a, a man right, on a mule being, with a gun, right. saying, don't win. <clears throat> he went to the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama after, where he was received as a hero by the state's black community. The white establishment gave him no acknowledgement at all. That's shocking. But it was different in Gardner's hometown of Seattle, where whites and blacks cheered him as a hero. The Seattle Post-Intelligencer sponsored a fundraiser to get him a down payment on a house. What he had done, more importantly, was one of the earliest and most well-known nonviolent protests against racism in America ever seen. A reporter asked him what the most dis- difficult part of the race was, and he said the desert trek, the blizzard in Texas, and the 75-mile day. He did not say a word about the racial nightmare and the endless death threats he received. Smart. Fucking hero. Yeah. Hero. He's the real winner of the race. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Racism lost the race. Thank you. You know, it's... Racists 
race uh, i'm out of them i see no reason to continue this podcast yeah, no, i agree i think it's over i mean we were ending on a high note and then it just got stupid yeah no and that and that's on me yeah that's my bad no it definitely is uh i don't want you to burden any of this uh i take it i'm the ed gardner of this podcast and you are the pile well that's fucked up right there we sign cars Meep, meep. <laughs> Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.